CII Radio, Episode 1, The Gender Pay Gap. Hi, I'm Michelle Warvell, Communications Manager at the Chartered Insurance Institute. And I'm Martin Bamford, a Chartered Financial Planner. Today on the podcast, we are tackling the gender pay gap. This is a really important subject, and we've got a couple of fantastic guests with us today. Tali Shlomo is People Engagement Director at the Chartered Insurance Institute, and John Terry is a partner at PwC and its UK Diversity and Inclusion Market Leader. This was a really good conversation. It's worth listening if you're facing the deadline, which is on the 4th of April, but also if you're a smaller organisation with fewer than 250 staff, there's some really good bits in here for you too. So without further ado, here is the conversation. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to the Charter Insurance Institute's um, first um, podcast. Um, Our very first podcast is going to be on the gender pay gap and we have our two guests here um, who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now. So Tally or John, over to you. I'm Tally Shlomo, I'm the People Engagement Director at the Chartered Insurance Institute, um, responsible for all areas of diversity and inclusion and one element of that is gender pay gap reporting which I'm really looking forward to sharing with you elements of the report and some call to action and some practical tips. Hello, I'm John Terry. I'm a partner at PwC. I lead our global financial services HR consulting business and I'm also our diversity and inclusion leader for the firm. Um, And you won't be surprised to know I've been doing an awful lot of work with my team helping organisations prepare for the gender pay gap reporting and post that reporting. Fantastic. And um, John, do you want to um, kick us off and tell us what the regulation actually is? Well, I'm hoping most, if not all, of your audience are pretty aware of it, but let me give a, uh, a very quick summary. Uh, the critical um, start place to start is actually the timeline. So by the 4th of April 2018, all firms with 250 or more employees in the UK in all sectors um, are required to disclose uh, their gender pay gap, and they need to do that by disclosing six metrics and a little bit of a blunt instrument but they are what they are Uh, and those six metrics are the medium and the mean of fixed pay which is a little bit more than salary maybe we'll come back to that the median and mean bonus pay gap as well Um, and the number of uh, women who are eligible for a bonus in your organization and finally the quartiles for the total compensation between men and women so those, those six mandatory numbers However, organisations are allowed to disclose any other information they wish to and any explanations around those six numbers as well. And that's by the 4th of April. John, can I jump in there then? So why was there the need for this legislation? What prompted it? So this is, this is uh, very much a part of the whole debate um, in the UK, in fact, broader than the UK, the fairness debate. Um, and diversity inclusion is a subset of that. And largely, actually, that's apolitical. I mean, it's very political in relation to uh, what is fair and what is not fair, but the focus on fairness uh, in society and the roles in which employers play um, in creating a fairer society is, is, a, is, is a real focus. And in particular, uh, amongst other things, there's a big focus on gender equality. Um, and there's uh, very much a view, uh, which I share, um, that uh, there isn't en- enough of a level playing field Uh, between men and women in organisations in terms of their ability to fulfil the potential. There's not enough women in senior roles in most industries. Um, And as part of um, uh, the tool, if you like, that the government's um, requiring organisations to disclose to put the spotlight on the situation with the aim that organisations 
once it's disclosed, will take it a lot more seriously in terms of moving the dial because it's an annual disclosure. And as this is now evolving as well, whilst we're all talking about gender, it's evolving to um, stretch into uh, BAM, so Black Ethnic Minority Groups. And what's really interesting is seeing organisations who are taking the leap before it becomes a legislation. So the recent Parker Review is all about how can we engage and start to disclose data, um, not only on gender, but on BAM. But the legislation specifically at the moment focuses on gender. Is there rumours or you know, an incentive to move into other areas of diversity too? I think there's a lot of signals that indicate that potentially over time um, we will be required to disclose data that's identifying the BAM com- diverse community. And I think that's a good indication that we as organisations should start to disclose before it becomes legislation because what it does is it encourages transparency and this is an area of debate, anything to do with diversity inclusion is something that we can work collaboratively together on. So no organisation needs to do this on their own, we can do all to do it together. And also what is also interesting about the data itself, John is absolutely correct, it, it is what it is in terms of the six uh, criterias. What's interesting is what do we do about it? Let's not focus too much on what the the number is but what can we do about it and has there been any pushback on it john on this legislation coming in or has it been quite seen quite positively well there's always pushback when organizations are required to disclose that that what they don't want to disclose and so prior to this legislation i think i'm right in saying there are only six organizations which i'm proud to say pwc was one of those who've been voluntarily disclosing the gender pay gap we've been doing so for four years now and so um if organizations felt it was um the right thing to do. They all disclosed it years ago. So yes, there was pushback. There's no doubt about that. Um, Having said that, uh, many organisations are now embracing it. Um, Not enough, and I'm sure we talk about that, but many organisations are seeing this as an opportunity to show all of their stakeholders, their their employees, prospective employees, their customers, the public, regulators, government, maybe we talk about some of the stakeholders, to show all of them they, they really care about creating an inclusive organisation of which equality um, around pay for men and women is is a part of that. And so how did you go about starting um, to release your figures on this? How did you start the process yourself to give people hints and tips going forward? Well, the first thing to do is to cleanse your data. And I'm hoping that uh, virtually all organisations have done that by now, since we're now only uh, four months away from the statutory deadline. Um, And particularly large organisations, that's actually a much bigger task than it might seem. Um, Quite often uh, you'll have um, multiple HR systems um, and not all data are even being necessary in the HR system at all because there's benefits, etc. And then what do you do about contractors and OC employees, etc., etc. So collecting all the data has has been, um, I think for many organisations, a much, much bigger task than they thought it would be. Um, I, and I think that when we carried our Pulse survey at the beginning of the year, one of the questions we asked organisations across financial services was when do they expect to disclose? Um, and um, over half would have expected to disclose by now. 
Um, and there are a couple of reasons why they haven't, but one of them is, is the task of actually um, collecting all the data, cleansing the data, and then understanding the data has taken a lot longer for many organisations. And of course, largely you do that once, and then you're updating that each year, so it's mm. a much bigger task um, in year one. But that's, that shouldn't be underestimated, that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is really understanding what you want to do with that data. Yes, you have to disclose the six mandatory numbers, and if you're, all you wish to be is compliant, that is all you need to do. You then need to um, disclose that on your own website, and then it gets, gets disclosed on a government website as well. But you could stop there. So compliant organisations and going no, long, no further than that. And many organisations were doing that, and I hope that within the insurance sector there were very few that only do that. So you really need to make a decision strategically um, of how much further do you wish to go. Um, and we take a very clear view on this. We think that uh, there are four things organisations need to do in relation to this. I'm going to make this sound very simple, and I accept it isn't. First of all is, is um, disclose the numbers. And don't put any gloss on them. Make it very clear what they are. Secondly, say what you think about those numbers. Thirdly, explain why they are what they are, and what have you done to date in relation to trying to close that gap, if a gap exists. And lastly, what are you going to do in the future? And, and organisations need to decide how much they're going to focus on each of those elements. Uh, so compliance is at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum um, is, is an organisation of which, I know we're going to come on to it, totally, the CIA will CII be one of those, who actually go much further than that, explaining exactly why the numbers are what they are, what sort of initiatives have been put in place already, and what initiatives are going to be put in place in the future. And, and organisations need to decide where they want to be on the spectrum. It's definitely an, an opportunity for organisations to start looking inwards. Um, and I absolutely agree, John. It's um, not only disclose the data, but look at what it means and what you could potentially do to narrow the gap. And what we've done here is, is look at the opportunity it creates, because as I say, the number's a number, but what does that mean for us in terms of the journey and how we're going to take this forward? So whilst we have signed up for Women in Finance Charter and we were one of the first signatories, whilst we have done some work internally to look at inclusive leadership and inclusive recruitment, what else can we do? What else can we do to narrow the gap? And bearing in mind what I just said earlier on about, you know, maybe the Parker Review become legislation in terms of BAM, what can we do with the other diverse communities whilst we're on this journey, uh, not singling out any other diverse communities? So what we've done is looked at it as an opportunity to look at how we tackle our processes, not only from an HR perspective, but also from a leadership perspective. So our leaders here have attended unconscious bias training, they've attended inclusive leadership training, and we've worked quite a lot on our values so that they become behaviours, not words on papers. We've also signed up to the 30% Club and we're now involved in their uh, cross-country mentoring programme. We're probably, I think, a month in and the feedback has been phenomenal. Um, the, the ladies who are on the programme are finding it a kind of useful journey. What is also interesting, actually, is the mentors. Is They are also finding it an interesting journey and they're learning from their mentees. So this is about getting external perspectives. It's not just being instilled in how we think and how we see things. And one of the things we always talk about in diversity inclusion is the group thing, coming out away from the group thing. The other thing that we've done here internally is, as part of the opportunity that it presents is looking at the job levels. So how can we work looking at uh, creating opportunities not only for the women that work here, but all roles and all positions and create a career path and succession path. 
whilst we're still very early um, on that journey, I'd like to think that in a year's time, when we're redisclosing this uh, year two, we can see some differences, particularly where we've offered work allocation, because that's something that everyone can do quite quickly. It's do you allocate projects to men more than women? Do you allocate projects to those who are the loudest? Um, do you allocate projects to those who ask for it? Because um, one of the things I always say is some of you introverts who are really quiet may never put their hand up and ask for it for, to, be particip- to participate in a project. However, they may have something really valuable, so you might sometimes need to reach out to them. And so it's, it's encouraging and looking beyond what we typically do. Do the figures that get disclosed then typically highlight those areas? And they're very broad figures, averages, pay levels, etc. Would they go ever go as far as identifying opportunities within the business, for example, within your organisation to take on projects to have opportunities for promotion, for example? That's a really good question. And I think it creates an opportunity. And I would say that probably next year, year two of disclosure, we might start to see that. We might start to see more detailed information. I think everyone's, um, with the mere fact that not many of in, in, our, in our profession have disclosed their data tells me that people are feeling quite nervous about disclosing. And I kind of keep saying, the number's the number. Let's not be nervous about it. Let's you know look at what it means and how we can address it. So I do think after we've overcome this little um, moment of feeling quite nervous about it, I think, yes, the next layer is let's dissect it even more further and then disclose it. So if I may, I think um, the starting point of what the numbers say, or rather what, in, what individuals think about those numbers is really important. The vast majority of people believe that gender pay gap equals unequal pay. In other words, uh, women have been paid unfairly for doing the same role at the same level of performance. And um, that could be a reason, but of course that's been illegal since the 1970s. Um, um, I must say that um, across the insurance and across the financial service sector, I very rarely come across um, um, positive discrimination. Um, however, part of the nervousness of organisations uh, is because of that, that view. So being able to understand what are the causes of the pay gap? And there are really only two big causes if you, if you eliminate uh, that prejudice issue. Uh, one is that um, insufficient number of women in senior high-paid roles, and in the insurance sector that is overwhelmingly the biggest reason. And secondly, disproportionate of high percentage number of women in low-paid roles. Mm. Um, and in retail businesses, uh, that is often, uh, often the case. But by, by a company-by-company basis, really understanding what that is and explaining it to everybody and not forgetting your own employees who many will believe that this is actually unequal pay issue unless the numbers are really explained to them and that then allows you to understand the root causes which you as I agree with Tally for many organizations that will be a year two issue not a year one issue and we've been at it for a long time now so we've been able to do that but it's important to be to understand the, the, the reason for it and then look at the root causes for those reasons. I absolutely agree. I think what's critical is that we continue to um, explain the difference between the equal pay and gender pay gap reporting. And what we've done in our disclosure uh, paper, Mind the Gap, is we've given a worked example um, on the gender pay gap reporting to try and emphasise all the way through it's not an equal pay matter. And I was going to ask you both how you've actually disclosed so far, so how you presented that information to the market. Well, we've recently disclosed um, our data, um, and I think what's most interesting for us is we're an organisation that doesn't fall in the remit of the legislation. 
We're an organisation of less than 250 people. However, we think it's the right thing to do. Um, we think it's the right thing to be transparent. So we have first disclosed internally with our colleagues and we then um, went into the market and disclosed via our report called Mind the Gap. And the report is quite extensive. It covers not only our data, um, which I'm happy to share today, but it also talks about what the steps we've taken and what we see as the gaps that's causing the gender pay gap. So as John mentioned, there are less women at senior roles, paid senior executive salaries and potential bonuses, and there are less women um, working through the talent pipeline. So, you know, when we look at the opportunities, it is about attracting, first of all, talent, and then it is about retaining the talent. And one of the challenges we all face in HR is how do we retain talent and attract talent when we're not being transparent or when we don't have talent pipeline or succession planning in place that's fair and equal for everyone. Well, as I say, we've been obviously in the UK, we're disclosing our gender pay gap for a few years now. Um, uh, actually, we didn't see this as a big step for these six numbers. The way we've disclosed it previously had been a slightly differently. So if you look at our website, you'll see the six numbers. It's a pretty boring disclosure. But then the links through to what we call our transparency report, which sets out um, a lot more numbers. For example, we set out the split between men and women at every grade. Um, we, 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 we set out um, what we call the demographic um, pay gap, which is the extent of our pay gap that is, that is down to the numbers of, of, of women, less numbers of women in senior roles in an organisation. So broadly, we have a 15% gender pay gap, of which about 13 and half of that is to do with, with that factor. And that's a really powerful number because in, in its own, that shows pretty straight away that this isn't really anything to do with equal pay at all. Um, this is, a, uh, in many ways, an even bigger issue uh, for the industry, certainly for the insurance sector. It's a massive issue of, of, the, of the lack of women in, in middle management and senior uh, level roles in the industry. But being able to say that, I think, is really important. We also set targets. Uh, this was um, partly to do with the finance charter, as we signed up for that as well. Um, but So we, we set targets, and Tally be pleased to know we set targets for our organisation, both for gender and ethnicity, and we set those very micro level for each of our businesses at every every level. And you can see all that. It's all transparent. Now, I'm not suggesting that all organisations disclose that much information. That's not what I'm saying. I think organisations need to have a strategy deciding what's appropriate for them to do. But picking up on something Tally said earlier, which is around the nervousness, the sector doesn't like, it likes to manage bad news. And let's be very clear, these gender pay gap numbers are bad news or fantastic news for the press, of course, they love it. There will be tables. Um, and there'll be lead tables, both for my sector and then within sectors, um, and you'll be able to, you know, anyone be able to go on and have a look to see what these numbers are looking like. Uh, the insurance sector will have one of the worst gender pay gaps in terms of the highest gender pay gaps of all sectors, uh, probably more than twice the national average. Um, and when you're talking about those sorts of numbers, um, then it's understandable that many organisations will feel that they will be on the back foot. Um, um, and what I would say is that when you've got bad news, you need to have the planning for how to deal with that news. Um, uh, and so being able to understand the causes and being able to respond, even if you're not disclosing all that, being able to have that story already, I think is really, really important. Although, of course, I'd encourage organisations to disclose as much as possible. I would also add to that it's not just an HR issue. So, you know, work with your communications team, work with your executive team, work with your board, work with your colleagues to um, not only just in terms of the disclosure, but how do we address the gap? Because it, whilst HR may have the processes in place, 
guess what? They're not the ones actually putting into practice. They don't manage the organisation. It's the leaders. It's the management team. Well, I go further. I would say it's not an HR issue. It's no. a business issue. Correct. Uh, if you believe that um, diverse teams and diverse organisations create better results, mm. and there's some great research out there, not least the McKinsey research that shows that, if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that decisions are made um, less so around groupthink if you have diverse teams, then it's a business issue. Uh, HR enablers. And I think one of the mistakes many organisations have, have, have been making as they've been working out the response to gender pay reporting is that it's been owned too much in HR um, and it shouldn't be owned in HR. HR should be enabling and working with the business leaders because th this is a risk issue. Let's be very clear. When these numbers are disclosed, there will be a lot of bad publicity. Some organisations will be pointed out and spotlighted more than others, of course. But the whole industry um, will be seen as being really poor in this area. That is a reputational risk issue. It's a talent risk issue. Mm -hmm. And it's a major risk issue that needs to be managed, of which, of course, HR plays an important role in managing those issues. But it's a business issue. I agree, John. And I think what I would add to that is that when we talk about attracting talent, let's talk about millennials um, as an example. The first thing they look for is equity and fairness. That's their employee value proposition. So they will look for an organisation, they will look at their gender pay gap, they will look at their diversity and inclusion strategy, they will look at what they can offer them in terms of their values, is it aligned to their own values, and this is one area. And absolutely, HR is an enabler to support the business in this. And there's so much data there out there about how diversity and inclusion impacts the bottom line and impacts the business, and it is at a reputational risk. And we now need to look at it as an opportunity. I mean, also financial services is always going to be a bit on the back foot from its traditional background compared to other sectors? Uh, yes, and that's, that's true. Um, though uh, I, I think uh, organi some organisations have seen already that this is an opportunity, um, as, as Tally was saying. Um, it is absolutely true that organisations um, who are seen to be taking the issue seriously are viewed better than those organisations that are doing better but are not taking it so seriously. So if you've got some bad numbers, say how it is, say what you think about it, and say what you're going to do about it. Um, and that is seen far better uh, than organisations that just be quiet about these numbers and just hope that, you know, that no one will notice, which is um, a little naive. But actually, uh, the critical thing is to, is, to, is to look at this. If you're at the end of the spectrum, which is around compliance, well, okay, look at it from a compliance perspective, but how are you going to manage that reputational risk uh, when the spotlight comes on you. So that, those plans are required. But I hope m many more organisations in the sector see this as an opportunity to get on the front foot and to show all stakeholders, including your current employees as well as prospective employees and customers and so on, that you really care about these issues and that you want to move the dial. And one of the great things about this industry is so many senior leaders that have been very vocal over the last two, three, four years around how important it is to create inclusive workplaces and an inclusive industry and be much more diverse. This is a great opportunity to show that you, it acts as a catalyst to be able to show that you really mean that as an organisation. So at, at the time we're recording this, early December, just under four months to go until this comes into force, we obviously know lots of organisations haven't yet disclosed their figures. For anyone listening now ahead of the deadline, what steps do we need to take? Obviously, get disclosing is the first step. What else do we need to be thinking about? Should I take that? I think, I think the first thing, um, as I, I keep using the word strategy, I think it's really important uh, to um, 
to, to look at your stakeholders. So who are the important stakeholders in your organisation? Um, and when you look at the employee group, for many organisations, it's not one group. Um, so you obviously got your senior executives. The most important set of stakeholders of employees are those people that manage other people, your line managers, your people managers, whatever you call them in your organisation, because they're the people that need to be able to explain to their people that, number one, this is not an equal pay issue, and number two, the organisation is doing dot, 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 whatever your organisation's decided what to say, and really be consistent in that message. So be really clear about your stakeholders. What are you going to be doing from a PR perspective, either proactively or more likely for most organisations, if you get get that uh, that press inquiry, which is rather on the attacking side. Um, so that's very important. So understand the stakeholders and start planning around what you can do for those stakeholders. Secondly is understand what are the causes of, of your gender pay gap for your organisation? There won't be the same in every organisation. There'll be some big bucket issues which are similar, but the, the, the micro things are, are different. And start building, if you, um, or if you've already built, start articulating better and being able to share more widely than you're currently doing what is your plan, your activities around trying to deal with those root causes. Um, and be prepared to, to be very clear about what you're going to say and be consistent around what you're going to say for all those various stakeholders. I think they're the critical things to really to get, get hold of. And I think moving forward from there is taking the activities and making them reality. So identifying and having a plan for initiatives and activities to support narrowing the gap. And things like I've mentioned, the mentoring, the training, the inclusive leadership, the values, the behaviours piece, the job levelling, those are all initiatives and activities that we can take forward. And the first thing that anyone can do is look at how they attract and retain their talent. And every line manager can do that on day one. The very last thing I'd add on that is as, a, as, a, as an insurance sector, it's actually really important you share with each other, which is, you know, often alien to organizations but this isn't this is an industry issue the the industry has an image issue which it is beginning to deal with um, this could put the industry backwards if they're not careful um, it is not an individual competitive advantage issue first and foremost of course it's a competitive advantage issue if you're ahead of your peers but if for example prospective employees see the whole sector as not being a level playing field and it's not for me if i'm a woman and then that's the whole sector. It doesn't matter if your organisation is better than the next one. They're just not going to have a look at the sector at all. So it's sharing more than currently, and that started to happen, which is great to see, but really starting to share some of the things that are working in your organisation and some of the things that aren't working and start supporting each other, particularly smaller organisations through the CII and others, I think are really important things to do. And places to go for help. You've produced a report, which I can see on the table in front of you, Tally. So we've produced a report called Mind the Gap. It's on our website. We have also have on our website um, some guidance for organisations. Um, one of them is called um, Diverse Thinking. The other one is just a, an inc making inclusion a reality. It's taking it back to basics. Um, and the PwC reports are absolutely useful as well because what they do is they take you on a step-by-step -step journey. And for the PwC report, where can we get hold of that one? Go on to pwc.com, go through to diversity inclusion, you'll find something like 30-odd reports, and do feel free to have a look at those. Thank you both very much for that. It was a fantastic debate and lots to learn there, lots of important learning points, I think, for various organisations. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. So that was episode one of CII Radio. You can find out more and subscribe at www.cii.co.uk slash podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this first episode. Let us know what you think on Twitter at CII Group or email me at michelle.warvell at cii.co.uk. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.